Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. I'm so proud and happy to have our guest on today. Our guest has been a, is a 33-year-old financial activist fostering cultural competence in personal finance and advocating for economic reform. A St. Louis native who has now over a decade of experience working as an accountant and a default counselor. She created an organization called The Broke Black Girl, which connects and educates and empowers minority women to achieve financial and mental wellness. The Broke Black Girl provides a safe, supportive space for women to openly discuss their financial hardships and advance their financial literacy and seek free assistance from multiple professionals who are on the platform. Platform has exceeded over 60,000 women in just one year, reaching women in 38 states, 96 countries. The Broke Black Girl has been featured on People Magazine, Elite Daily, Black Enterprises, and many, many more. Daisha Kennedy, welcome to Free Thinking with Montel. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. I'm excited about having this conversation too. First of all, I, I don't know where exactly to begin because first of all, I was going to ask you what prompted you to start broke black girls. But I think if you tell me a little bit about your history now, you know, you grew up in the St. Louis area, right? And um, you decided not to go to college immediately. You got a job working in the mailroom of an accounting office, did you not? Yes. Um, right out of high school, I had a job working at the mall. And mm -hmm. I was young. It was easy. I could spend my money right back in the mall. I thought that I had it made. My mom, uh, my mom, she sat me down and she said, hey, if you're not going to go to college, you really need to get start thinking about things such as 401k benefits, working for a corporate company. And so she introduced me to the company she was working for. And I took a very low position working in the mailroom. And that was where I had my first introduction to numbers, to accounting, to personal finance, working around financial advisors. And I was extremely interested in the work that they were doing. And one of those counselors took you under their wing, did they not? Yes, she did. I sat across from her um, probably my first few months there. All I did was stuff envelopes, but we would have conversations. And so she would let me help her when we had opportunities for overtime. She would let me stay behind, help her out. I asked a lot of questions and she asked her boss if she could train me. And she did. And I worked under her for a year. And by the, I want to say probably three to four years later, I was a senior accountant at that company because she gave me my first chance. Wow. Absolutely. And without a college education? No, without one. Absolutely. And then, so now you were marching along smartly there, but then you ended up falling prey to and falling behind a little bit because of some hardships, one hardship after another, after another, you, yes. you had a divorce, right? You had a death in the family and you broke your foot. Yes. So a series of events took place over several years, but it wasn't until I broke my foot. At this point, I was working at a different company, doing the same work, still in finance, but more so on the back end. So in, at first, I was able to prepare people. And then on the back end, I was having to help people solve problems because of things such as debt or any financial hardships. And then I faced my own financial hardships. And I thought that I had it going on. I had a very good job, very good benefits. I was making a lot of money. And then I broke my foot. And when I broke my foot, it took me out of work for two weeks. 
And it was at that moment when I was not getting a consistent check that I realized that although I had money coming in, I really was living a paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. Right. And that's what made you decide to let me, let me figure out how I get myself out of this plight. Right. Yes. Yes. That's when I sat down and I really had to start applying the things that I learned back when I was 19, pairing it with the things that I learned over the course of years and now working in as a debt counselor. So I used all of that information that I gained working at my corporate jobs and I applied it to my real life experience. And then I was able to get my own self out of the hole that I was in. And I said, hey, you know, let me let me see if there's someone else that's actually going through this same thing, that's experiencing the things that I am experiencing. And then I started the broke black girl. And, and you started out initially as a social group just to, you know, I mean, did you think that it was going to turn into this huge success that it is 60,000 people across the planet, you know, in 38 countries and, or I'm sorry, 96 different countries and 38 States. No, I did not. I, I, I did not. The very first person that was in the group was my little sister. And she was in because I made her get in because <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, hey, I'm starting a new group just to just get in. I did not think that it would turn into this. Um, It's been both rewarding, but still also painful because I'm hearing a lot of the women have experienced the exact same things. A lot of financial hardships. They have reached out to um, companies seeking financial assistance. And some of them felt like they couldn't get anyone that could relate to them, that showed them empathy for the financial hardships that they were experiencing. They said that they felt like a number. And then now I have the Broke Black Girl, which is a safe space for them to go and get that exact assistance. And it's more of an affinity group in the sense that it's not an affinity group. It's more of a, a place where a refuge where women can come together, share their anecdotal stories, and then try to do peer-to-peer -peer counseling on the forum so other people can watch. Yes. Yes. So we have a lot of amazing financial educators in the group, as well as myself. And we are in there pretty much 24-7. Anytime a question comes up, we are reaching out to the experts that are in the community to jump right in and help. And it goes all day, every day since 2017. This is what that community does. And what's your overall mission? My overall mission, I want to I want to empower minority women to be financially confident and secure for them to be able to have tools that they can always go to and use and apply it to their everyday financial ex experiences. So what's the most valuable lesson that you've learned yourself in your own journey that you try to share with others? Personal finance is personal. Um, it was very hard for me navigating my personal finance journey because there are a lot of different personal finance educators that teach from a different perspective. And sometimes you feel like you're doing everything wrong if you're not lining up with what they are saying, when in reality, you're doing everything right for how it works for you. So understanding first that personal finance is personal and that that journey looks differently for everyone, that has been a life-changing revelation for me. Wow. And now um, you, you advise others who are struggling in debt, like things like student loan and credit card debt, et cetera. I mean, what kind of advice do you give them? So one of the things that I see a lot that the women in my community face is that they think that, well, now I'm not going to say that they think. For them, it is very overwhelming to try to start tackling debt. One of the first things that we do is we try to get people to sit down and analyze exactly where they are. A lot of times when people have things such as student loan debt or credit card debt, a lot of it they are projecting. Um, they see a very huge number and they think that it's impossible to tack it. So what we first do is we get people to sit down and just 
take a look at what you have going on, see what type of income you have coming in, what expenses you have going out, and then creating a plan that's centered around that to actually tackle the debt. I think in the land of social media, we see a lot of, of very great stories where people are paying off debt in two years or they're paying off debt in six months. And sometimes that can be discouraging for other people who think that they cannot do that. But even if it takes you five years, 10 years, the, the main focus is sitting down and actually creating a plan. So that's where we always start with just sitting down, analyzing it and creating the plan from there. I mean, facing it head on. Facing it, yes. Uh, sometimes I think people think out of sight, out of mind. So they think if I'm not answering the phone, or if I'm not opening the mail, if I'm not following up, then that means that it doesn't exist. Exist, And we know that, that that's not true. So with the community that we have, we're able to say, hey, I'll hold your hand. You are empowered by 60,000 other women that are going to walk this journey with you. If you can't figure it out alone, one of us can help you figure it out. Sure. And how do you help people like increase, let's say, their, their, their credit score? So in our with increasing their credit score, we have an expert that's in our community and she assists the women with um, working on their credit. One of the biggest things that we know that impacts the credit is your credit history. So how I help people impact that as a personal finance coach is first getting on a budget so that people can start paying their bills on time. We know that paying bills on time definitely impacts the credit score because the credit score is made up of 35% credit history. So our credit expert, that's, that's what she focused on primarily is making sure that women are paying bills on time, especially the bills that impact the credit. Gotcha. Well, you know, I mean, we're faced with a time right now, especially right now in America, where we have such a huge, just a, a, a almost overwhelming racial wealth gap. And especially, you know, when we look at that gap, we understand that, you know, uh, women of color are normally at the bottom of that gap, right? Yes. yes. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. So I, w I was doing some research a couple of months ago, and one of the things that I came across was that 81% of Black women are the primary breadwinners of their home. So if you pair that with Black women already being paid extremely low, having to combat the racial and gender wealth gap, that makes it extremely difficult for us to take advantage of options such as investing, saving money, purchasing property, some of the things that we know can actually catapult our wealth. It's hard for us to take advantage of those things when we struggle with getting access to capital. So that is also something that we like to discuss in our community as well, because sometimes there's nothing else that you can trim from the budget. There, there's no more expenses that you can cut to be able to actually move ahead. Sometimes it is a systemic issue that we have to start looking at it a different way. Low wages, being paired, a fair wage, actually getting jobs that people are qualified for that's going to give them opportunities to get benefits, a bigger check, a larger salary. Sometimes it's not just something the person is doing as much as the issue at hand, the racial and gender wealth gap, it's very hard to combat, especially when you're doing it by yourself. And wait, what's that? What's that number that, that, that most uh, uh, African American women, women of color, yes, they, get yeah. paid? You said get paid. Yeah, I mean, isn't it like you know? I think uh, African American women make like on eight, the dollar. What is it? Sixty-two cents on the dollar for what yeah. our white counterparts make. That's absolutely incredible. And that's been here for eternity, right? I mean, yes. you're, right, without much change in the last ten years. Yeah, and this isn't, yeah, the things that I'm talking about is not anything new. This has been going on 
you know, for so long. But for me in the community that I have, when you have 60,000 right now, we have like 72,000 people in the, in the community. So when you have 72,000 people saying the exact same thing, it puts me in a position where it's like, yes, we, we can't ignore this. Like we have to bring light to this. Like we have to do what we can on our end, but we have to bring light that this sometimes is much bigger than us. Right. And especially, I mean, you know, how do you think we're going to be able to tackle this, 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 you know, huge chasm? I mean, when you're talking 63, you know, and when, let's make sure people at home are listening and understand what, what uh, Desha is saying is that, you know, for the exact same position in an office, an African-American woman is making 63 cents on the dollar compared to her white counterpart. Um, that just makes no sense at all. How do you, how do you, how do you combat that when you walk in the door uh, for a job interview? You say, "Look, I mean, I want to make sure I get paid as much as any other employee here." What would you suggest a person do? Yes, first, I, I want to say companies have to start practicing pay transparency, where they have to be honest about what some of the positions are, are being paid when you have people that are coming right in, in the door. I really think that companies have to start practicing paid transparency, but also for women, statistics, statistically, we negotiate our pay the least. So I also want women to be empowered to negotiate, be empowered. And I know sometimes it's tough, especially when you go back to the fact that I gave you earlier that 81% of black women are the primary breadwinners of their home. So sometimes it's tough for us to turn down our opportunities when we when you clearly can see we are in need of the money but we have to be confident as well with negotiating with negotiating and, and saying if you cannot give me the dollar amount that i'm asking for maybe we can work it out in other factors that we need such as paid time off benefits child care those are other expenses that make it really difficult to fill that gap as well so for me it's women being comfortable and confident enough to negotiate, but companies also meeting us where we're at and practicing pay transparency. I mean, when we take a look and we think about this now, how stressful this is on the sole breadwinner in a family, you know, it, it really, really, really impacts a person's mental health. And how does that tie into your financial, um, personal finances? Oh yeah. It's, it's hard to make, equity financial decisions when you are not well mentally and then when you pair that to a single mother who has children who's already being paid low who may be combating her own mental issues i i think i don't think that finances and financial health and mental health is discussed enough it makes it extremely difficult it's hard for for me and i'll just use myself in, as an example it's hard for someone to make the right financial decision when they are also struggling and depressed about how they're going to eat how they're going to care for their family their family is dependent on their income that has a huge impact on our finances and mental health especially right now where you know when you look in the media the media seems to want to give this impression that there are just strong black women out there right now and they're out there and you better be a strong black woman or you're not you know, living up to your expectation. I, I, I can't imagine what that must be as a, you know, a strain to, you know, the, the average woman who's just out there, like you said, trying to make ends meet. Yeah. And, and that that stigma is crippling. It is crippling to a lot of black women because sometimes we do feel like 
we can't ask for help. And if we do ask for help, it's going to be received that maybe we are weak or that we cannot actually handle the job of both being a mother and a professional. Those are stigmas that we have to face every day. But what I want to say is when it comes to being a strong black woman, what you really have is just black women doing what we have no choice to do. And I don't know if that is something that people should uh, applaud to say, oh, that's a strong black woman more so than they should say, how can I help her? She's carrying the weight of the world. Do I look at her as strong or do I just say, how can I help remove some of this weight that's on her? And now have you noticed that your the the participants in your strong black woman you know, forum. I'm wondering whether or not you got a lot of strong black men actually tuning in these days. Is is it is it a family thing or is it just a singular singular sexual sex thing? Yeah, so it's just all women in the community, and the women they ask about that a lot. They ask me, you know, if I am ever going to start a community for men. Right now, of course, my focus is on women, but I have two sons. So what I encourage the women in the community to do is everything that you learn here, share it, talk about it at the dinner table, talk about it, you know, with your with your kids, and you can help in your home break some of those generational traumas that we face when it comes to finances as well. All of the things that I've learned, I share with my children who may one day grow up to be husbands, to be fathers, and I hope that they'll be able to carry on those conversations as well. So I always encourage the women in the community to take everything that they learn and share with everyone in their family. Now, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, I, I, oh, this is probably one of those areas that a lot of people find difficulty being able to navigate. And that's when they go to work, they don't recognize that, you know, man, maybe that job may run out. So I need to start saving a little bit of money along the way. And so given a choice between, you know, say, putting together a Roth IRA or actually developing a 401k, what's the difference between them and, and explain why either one of them is a, a benefit? So it really, so it's no way to say which one is better or not, because it really depends on what the person currently have going on. Both of them are retirement accounts. A 401k is more so an employer retirement account, and an IRA is an individual retirement account. IRAs, you will see more people that are solopreneurs or entrepreneurs, they'll focus more on an individual retirement account, which is an IRA. And a 401k is more so for people who are still employed. What I can say is that most employers will match what you agree to give out of your your paycheck. That was not something that I was taught. And that was something that I wish that I would have been introduced much earlier. Because either way, when you start saving for retirement, one of the things that works in everyone's favor, especially someone who is much younger, it's time. The more you put into it, the earlier, the more you have for it to grow. So starting investing into either one as early as possible is always priority. Um, but I would definitely say always take advantage of a 401k if that's available at your employer, because in most cases, they will match what you put in there. Gotcha. Now, what's what's the most important thing that people can do while they're on the road to building their own you know, wealth and financial freedom? One of the things that they can do that's most important, and this is something that I always advise to women, is to stay involved. Do never take the back seat to your finances. One of the things that you often will see is that people will put their finances on autopilot. They will outsource it to someone else. It could be a financial advisor, an accountant, whichever of their choice. And it, it's almost like now that someone else can take care of it, they no longer want to deal with it because financial planning is 
it's stressful. It can be extremely stressful sometimes, but I always suggest never taking the backseat to your finances. Always be involved. Sometimes it takes less than a minute just to check your accounts, to check the status of the things that you have going on, to see exactly where your finances are. Always stay, if not in the driver's seat, the passenger seat of your finances. You know, we're living in a time right now with this COVID pandemic, and I see, you know, all over the internet, you know, you see, uh, you know, people who are small businesses and 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 um, you know, entrepreneurship just blossoming. Yeah. Um, and though I have to say and have to give credit to over the course of the last three or four years, I've seen more African-American women literally starting businesses across this country than I've ever seen before. But, you know, what advice do you give to somebody who wants to start their own business? So I always tell people, start out wanting to solve a problem. If you can solve a problem for someone, you're going to always be in demand. People are going to need you and your services. And that, of course, is going to keep the cash and the profit coming in. Um, what I will say, too, there has been an increase of black women that are starting businesses. And I am extremely proud. Every time I see another black woman that has started a business, it makes me extremely happy. And we create most of those businesses out of lack. Nine times out of 10, when a woman is creating a business, it's because she was seeking an assistance for a product or a service that was not there, that did not serve her in the capacity of which she needed. And she knew other people that experienced this same thing. And then she creates that business to fill that void. So when you set out to fill a void or to solve a problem, that is the best foundation to have when you're wanting to start a business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I work, uh, you know, in the, the uh, cannabis business in this country and the cannabis businesses, you know, probably one of the only recession proof businesses in America right in this minute. Literally, um, they've shown, you know, uh, job growth uh, exponentially far greater than, you know, almost any other field in the country. Mm-hmm. Yet we recognize that that's a business that was born on the backs of African-Americans who suffered the most you know, pain from being arrested during this entire, you know, 90 year prohibition of cannabis. Yet there are no, I mean, there are very few African-American women involved in this as a business, entrepreneurial or not, not even allowed to come in. So, I mean, um, how do you think you can start to spark more? Well, forums like yours, Broke Black Girl would probably be one way, but how else can you spark interest in entrepreneurship among, you know, black females? I think raising awareness, uh, even you just saying that I've seen uh, the cannabis business a few times across social media, but I have not seen it a lot, not in the way that it has been targeted towards women. Um, One of the things that I think that people often forget is that sometimes women need their own path to financial security. And if it's a way that we can target more women, that is definitely the lane that we should take. I would love to see women take advantage of all type of monetizing opportunities. And if the cannabis industry is one, just making that information readily available towards women. For example, if we know that it's 70,000 black women in the broke black girl community and someone has an opportunity that that can be profitable for them, that's where we should be targeting to get that information to them. So actually to me, just meeting women where they are and where they are at and delivering the information there. Well, I know, uh, you know, in your forum, you ought to, you ought to uh, just for you yourself personally, you know, uh, steep yourself in some information. I think it was Leafly um, uh, just recently issued a jobs report that shows how 
you know, robust the cannabis industry has been now in 37 states across this country, and it's growing exponentially almost wow. every single day. So, Desha, I will tell you, that's something that, you know, in your next forum, you should bring up and maybe do a little research yourself so you can then, matter of fact, we'll even send it to you if you want. I'll make sure our office yeah. sends it to you. There was a recent Leafly report that went through, you know, from top to bottom, the number of new jobs that have been created across the country. I mean, in some states, there are more jobs in the cannabis business than there are in the police department uh, over the course of the last year. And when you read all and you hear all the news, you know, on the cable outlets talking about, you know, the small number of jobs created each month. A lot of those jobs have been created in the cannabis field. There's probably, they, you know, I, we know that there's less than, you know, 5% of the people who are in the business are people of color. And wow. people of color, you know, because, uh, you know, are who really help to build this business across the country. And I'm talking about in 37 states where we now have some form of legal cannabis law. You know, there's no reason why there should not be more black representation and especially among black females. Wow. See, I didn't know that. I did. I would love that information because I didn't know that. Absolutely, this is something I think you should share share in your forum, and I think you might find that you know some people may be interested. You know, it's um, you know, the time is now, and especially since we are you know at the you know the burgeoning, the very beginning of this as a, an industry in this country. Yeah. And so now, but but also the the biggest problem in the cannabis industry is access to finances. Now, does your forum help direct women who are trying to start their own business towards maybe black home funds? Or do you want to one day put together a fund so that you could start helping, you know, black entrepreneurs start their businesses? Yes. Yeah, so right now, that is not something that we offer. But yes, um, we have a smaller segment of the Broke Black Girl for women who do have businesses. What we were doing were once a year, we were hosting an event and we were calling it the Girlpreneur Expo where women from our group were coming out to one space and setting up basically shop, almost like a vendor event. And we were inviting the entire community out to come and shop with them and support with them. We did that event like three times. We've had over 2,500 attendees and we probably made um, each time a little bit over $100,000 within four hours. So we we were focusing on definitely creating a space where we can call on the community to come out and support the women who have businesses in our community, well, from the Broke Black Girl community. But I definitely think starting something like a fund to take it a step further would be amazing. That was something I would love to see in the future of the Broke Black Girl. Absolutely. And I'm sure you have enough expertise on as members that could help roll that out. Yes, yes. And, that's, and even speaking of um, members, we like to treat our community like a roller deck. There are some amazing women inside of our community, some amazing educators. We have a lot of experts and we go right to our community to see if they have anything of value that they would like to add so that we can take the broke black girl to the next step. The goal is not always to be starting at the bottom or only talking about the basics in the broke black girl. Our goal is definitely to help the women in our community elevate, especially on terms of finances. Gotcha. Now what is the future for broke black girls? What do you, what do you see over the next year, maybe next two years? Over the next year, I spent pretty much all of 2020 doing a lot of research on finances, especially centered around black women. And one of the things that I learned was that every I'm not going to say everyone, but a large majority of the women wish that this information 
basic financial literacy was available to them when they were much younger. So the Broke Black Girl will be taking it a step deeper and trying to teach as many. My goal is to reach 70,000 more families within the next year to provide financial literacy to teenagers right before they go to college. So we want to try to catch it. The, we want to try to catch the 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 lack as early as possible. A lot of people say they wish they would have been introduced to it when they had their first job, when they were teenagers, because we have people in our community who are 25 facing the same issues that someone at 65 is facing. And one of the things that they have in common is that at one point they were both teenagers. So trying to take it a step further and focus on teenagers right before they go into the workforce or right before they go to college and have those conversations about finances. That is our, that's our next goal for the broke black girl to not take a step back, but a step deeper. That's great. And now if people wanted to find out more information about broke black girls, where would they go? Yes, they will look us up. We have a website. It's thebrokeblackgirl.com. And it is also the broke black girl across all social media platforms. Gotcha. So I want to make sure people know how to get a hold of you. And if they come up, can they ask questions to the forum and not participate in the, the forum? Do you have what is it, weekly events? How do you how do you how is it structured? So in our community, um, we have, it's not weekly as much as it is in open form. So I have topics that I will drive myself every, like every week, but for the most part, the women in our community, they can ask questions as they see fit. And what we do is we call on any expert in that particular topic to come onto that post and answer their questions. And then they engage in pretty much a learning experience right there in real time on that post. Well, look, I'm so I'm so excited, and thank you so much for being a part of Free Thinking with Montel. I wish you well. Anything thank else you, you like to add? Anything else you like to add? If, if if there will be anything that I would like to add, I would say start as early as possible when it comes to financial literacy. It does not have to be overwhelming. It could be as simple as spending thirty minutes each day researching and reading some type of financial material just so that you can start get comfortable and familiar with the terms and the processes of creating a financial plan for your future. So you're doing really, really, really good work, my dear. Keep it up, stay focused. Right. And, um, you know, you always have a home here. If you've, some things happen or you want to be able to promote some events that are going on, make sure you give us a call and then we can get you on again for free thinking so that we let the, all of our listeners know also. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And make sure you tune in to the next edition of Free Thinking with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Free Thinking with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please send us your comments.